0: Hi and thanks for listening. This is the second in our podcast series LockPod. I'm Katie Ringsdor, and today I'm joined by co-CEOs and co-founders of Lockbox, Gregor Mowat and Tom Eyre. I want to find out more about how to start a business and the Lockbox story. So let's start by introducing you both. Gregor, why don't you kick things off with a little background? Um, Thanks Katie.
1: Um, So yeah, my name is Gregor Mowat. I am one of the co-CEOs and co-founders of Lockbox. Um, Prior to um, Prior to getting involved in ending financial exclusion globally, I um, was a partner at KPMG, and I never worked for KPMG in the UK. I've always worked overseas. I started in Brazil in 1999, and, and then I kind of followed promotions and, um, and and global clients around the world until I um, I made partner in Thailand, and then I uh, um, eventually finished up working in Russia and the and the old Soviet Union in Kazakhstan um and, and and um where i was the I was the cFO for the region running um running a lot of the operations of that business and um and managing partner for Kazakhstan and central asia and, and of course, that was fascinating with uh, fascinating time to be there with um the oil price collapsing, currencies collapsing, revolutions, ukrainian um civil war. And the annexation of Crimea—all of that stuff had to be managed through. <laughs> and um, and it was a it was a great uh, a great business uh, um, kindergarten, a great place to learn my trade. And I, I, I moved back to the UK in 2016, where I had the great good fortune of being introduced to to Tom, who had already set up his first financial inclusion business, credit improver, back in 2012. And um, and we we got on very well. I was I, I invested into. Um, credit Improver is a minority, Tom was looking for some some funds, and um, and then the, then we kind of worked out the, the bits that the Credit Improver were not solving for the financial inclusion journey, and then we pivoted and created Lockbox together. Tom, over to you, more colour, perhaps.
2: <laughs> yeah, thanks, Gregor. Um So I'm Tom, I'm the other co-CEO and co-founder of Lockbox. Uh, my background, so I, I've worked in the British Army, so I was in the British Army, uh, I then uh, went to work for an investment company overseas. So I initially started working in Kazakhstan, I uh, in in Kazakhstan. Uh, and ultimately, that's probably one of the big drivers that led Greg and I to be introduced years later um, when we were looking for some investment. Uh, we we say this a lot, but the Venn diagram of people that live in the southwest of the UK and both work in Kazakhstan at about the same time is literally the two of us. Then from Kazakhstan, um, I went on to on, on, on to China, so moved over to Shanghai and worked there for the same investment company, and then returned back to the UK. And, uh, and rather than going back to Kazakhstan at that time, uh, helped uh, helped friends set up a different business. So we were doing corporate restructuring. This was back before the last uh, the last global financial crisis, and uh, we we set up a business that helped restructure SMEs through the course of. Uh, through the course of the last global financial crisis, we, we took on a number of consumer debt management businesses, uh, which gave me a bit of an insight into the financial exclusion and, um, and, and the hardships that can cause for people. And it was around about that sort of time that my sister had just left Guildford Law School, got a great job in the city, uh, great salary, tried to buy uh, finance on sofa, uh, a sofa on finance for £4 a week, I think it was. And, uh, and, was rejected being thin or no it was a credit problem that was being replicated up and down the country. And it was, it was at that point that I had the idea for Credit Improver, uh, which, as Gregor mentioned, was the first of our financial exclusion businesses, although we probably wouldn't have termed it like that back then. Uh, that was in 2012. Fast forward to 2016. And exactly as Gregor said, looking for some, some minority investment. Um, found that in Gregor when we were introduced. And, uh, and that started um, kind of the, the friendship and the partnership that Blockbox found fast in 2017, and you yeah, still continues now.
0: So, how does that work then? How are you introduced in the first place? How does that begin? Because for you guys to be connected somehow, and then to actually invest and then start the business, how did that work?
2: Well, from from, from my side, uh, we Credit Improver had just been picked up by Martin Lewis. As expert.com as the recommended Best Buy if you can't get a credit card. So all of a sudden, this kitchen tabletop company that was designed to help young people build a credit history, so address the low file thin file problem, um, relatively unsophisticated in the way it did that, I just certain that it was a good idea. Our trajectory had been changed, and we decided to go and raise some growth capital. So we went to we went to a broker. Uh, that broker, we actually we actually had an offer. We had a I had a term sheet from a VC. Uh, to raise, being venture venture capitalist, uh to to raise uh, to raise the money that we needed and um, and on a whim that broker introduced that broker phobia and said look I've got a got a guy on our books um, who's interested in financial services he lives down your way I was living in the southwest at the time uh, and uh, and maybe the two of you could go out for lunch you're not going to take his money because you've already got an offer and he doesn't want to invest in you um so why don't you just have lunch You both worked in Kazakhstan at about the same time and um I think he pretty much did, did himself out of a huge commission in that uh, in that single email because we Greg and I got to lunch and hit it off and, and completely changed our strategy but I mean there's there's two sides to every story so Greg probably got the other side of that
0: and I was about to ask Greg I said so what, what was it about Credit Improver and and you know Tom I suppose that you wanted to invest in?
1: So, so when I moved back from, from Russia, when I left KPMG, I, I, my objective was to set myself up as an angel investor. And uh, But, you know, I'm an amateur, so I was just feeling my, feeling my way. I'd never done this before, and, um, and not in a meaningful way. And um, so, so I went through, I, 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 if you're an angel investor, you want to try and work out how to get, first of all, how, where do your leads come from? How do you meet people who are looking for money? So I signed up with a bunch of brokers, and I had, had the word out with my friends if they heard of any investment opportunities. And over the course of um, a kind of six month period, I, I must have looked at over a hundred different businesses. And I, I set myself some criteria. So it had to be a, a business and um, there were three, three criteria. It, it had to be an industry that I understood. So that took me to financial services. I was a financial services um, sector partner in, in KPMG. It needed to be um available. So Tech was, was one, of the, one of the things that I was interested in. And, and equally important, all three of these were equally important, it needed to have a positive social impact. So it needed to be a mission-led business. And I'd been looking at lots of different things from, finance, uh, from uh, foreign currency FX um, businesses through to, um, to, to, to um, straight lending businesses. And hadn't come across anything where, where I ticked all those boxes, and I liked the, the people involved and felt I could be actively involved. So when, uh, when I met Tom, as he said, we hit it top, and, and uh, it, was, it was clear that, that um, Tom quite valued my um, financial background, and, um, and I really liked his entrepreneurial flair. Um, and so um, it looked like it was, a, it was a really good fit. And then, of course, Credit Improver, it ticked those three boxes for me. So away we went.
0: And then, so obviously now, credit improver is is not lockbox. We've evolved to lockbox. Tom, talk me through that evolution and how that's happened.
2: Yeah, sure. Um, it happened. It happened pretty quickly. Um, so we uh, we looked. So what was credit improver? Credit improver was originally designed to help young people build a demonstrable credit history uh, to address the thin file no problem, which naively is just a tiny, tiny, tiny part of the problem. And when Gregor and I really kind of banged our heads together, uh, we, we realized that we weren't addressing every element of what, of what we needed to do. So we went out there, we spoke to our customers, we spoke to credit records agencies, we spoke to banks, to lenders, etc. What, what is it that you need? And we realized that what was needed was much broader than what we were doing. We distilled it at the time down into what became the three things that we built the entire business on. So opportunity, capability, we needed to give, Consumers an opportunity to participate in the financial system by building a demonstrable credit history that could be accessed and used by other lenders and that accurately represented their ability to manage um, monthly recurring payments from a discretionary disposable income. That That was the opportunity that we needed to give people. Then we realized that we needed capability as well. So it's not enough to just build a credit history. It's not enough to just be able or have the opportunity to participate. You have to know how to participate. You have to know how to operate in a way that doesn't uh, doesn't put you under at some point. And unfortunately, you know, Greg and I, we, I feel like we're a broken record about this. Nobody does financial education properly. Um, nobody gives financial education the amount of respect that it deserves uh, in the UK. We haven't seen it anywhere in the very minor you know, Gregor and I've worked it through all over the world, uh, and nowhere does it particularly well. So. What happens is you end up having predominantly young people, because that's basically that's where it starts, leaving schools, colleges, universities, uh, and going out into the big wide world without any kind of financial education whatsoever. I mean, I when I left school, I knew pie to about eight digits. It was like a party trick, real off. But could I have told you what APR stood for? And no, absolutely no idea. Could I have told you what a direct debit was, or why it's different to a standing order, or a continuous payment authority on a debit card? Absolutely no idea. And the point was, I was woefully Unprepared for life as a, as a financial adult in, um, in the UK, which is a relatively sophisticated financial environment. So, we needed to imbue our product with, with education, so that we could impart capability on the people who used it. So, uh, so that's the second part, and then the third pillar was resilience. Um, it's all well and good being in the system, but financial inclusion is binary. You are neither. You're never. Always included or always excluded. It's always a little bit of both, and we are always kind of one disaster away from being financially excluded. Everyone, no matter what your income or your set of circumstances are, you will you one slight change in circumstances away from of being financially excluded. And resilience, savings helps you with that. It helps put some, some buffer between you and um you you and major dramas. So in in learning that, and that's you know that can relatively articulately put now, um, we were far less articulate as we were coming up with this, this kind of framework for building our business. We realized that in credit improvement, we were doing some of those things adequately, but not all of those things well. So um, so I think it was in December, 2016, um, we had the idea for the lot box. Very well, we'd just spent a lot of money uh, re- redoing credit improvement, rebranding the website, et cetera. And, um, and we made this kind of, in this fledgling relationship of Gregor's and mine, we made this um, this decision to pivot entirely away from Credit Improver and uh, build, a, build a whole new business. We were able to use the same tech stack that we had at the time. So we were able to do it quite quickly, uh, but we knew that we needed to do it. And um, we, we agreed that it was the right thing to do. So we, in December 2016, uh, we had the idea and refined block box by July 2017. We were coming out of pilot, having had you know X number of customers going through the process for for a period of time, checking that everything worked. So, uh, so it was a really, really, really quick turnaround. But that is that's what drove that um, that switch in prioritisation from Credit Improver to to the newly formed block box.
0: And Gregor, obviously there's risks associated. I mean, Tom's kind of touched on the way you guys have learned to articulate what the business is and the transformation to Lockbox. What are the risks associated with starting your own business, but also changing it before, you know, it's become what is now known as Lockbox? What have you learned?
1: Um, I've learned how to survive on very little sleep. Um <laughs> I've, uh, but but no, there's lots of things we've learned, lots and lots of things. Um, so when you're starting a, a, a business which creates a product that never existed before, and that's something that, that that Tom did with Credit Improver, and that the two of us did again with Lockbox, is that you 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 know, as a, as an entrepreneur in a business person, you've got a strong belief that you, you're you addressing a problem for people. But until people actually buy it, you, you don't know if you've got product market fit, to use the, the terminology. And that's probably when you're starting out completely from scratch, the number one risk. Because at that stage, there's not a huge amount of capital at risk. It's um, your time. And um, like Tom said, we had the, the tech stack already Built for credit improvers, so that just needed to be modified in order to work for Lockbox. And um, so, so, once you put once you put something live, and credit improver was live, um, and it, it really helped a particular group market um, segment who um, were had typically made mistakes in the past and recognised that they had to pay, it. they had to, it was going to cost them money to rebuild their reputation effectively because they'd made mistakes with credit in the past. What um was difficult with Credit Improver was getting it to scale at the price point it was at. So um it 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 got it rocketed to a certain point and then it kind of stuck at that point for a bit. And um and at that point we were asking ourselves, well, how do you how do you deal with that? We haven't quite got all of market product market fit. We've got segment of market product market fit. So we need to find out how to do something differently, and, and the, the eureka moment was when Tom worked out um, that the, uh, the, the lockbox um, commission mechanism that allows lockbox to be free for customers. Because at that point, we take the price, we take the price point fear away that was blocking people the, the wider the wider market segment out of out of using credit and And once we worked that out, then we actually were quite happy to let credit prover continue to exist because it was helping a group of people. Um, and then we could we could service the other um, uh, groups in the market using using Lockbox. So product market fit is is, is absolutely crucial. Then as you go um, as you grow, then capital becomes important because you need to expand your team. And um, you, it, it's very difficult to with a consumer finance product to achieve in month one or month two the scale to cover the scale that the income generated will cover the, all the fixed cost you need, so you need to go out and raise capital in order to be able to do that. Um, and so that's a, that's a big consideration. And what are your capital needs, and how do you and how do you get it? And we we obviously thought about that because we had a business that was cash generative. We were moving to one that would be take a little bit of time to, to become cash positive. So that as part of the pivot, that was a, a crucial thinking was well, we we'll, we'll, we will need to raise funds. Let's uh, so so we we eked out the remainder of my credit improver investment for as long as we could. Um, and then in um, 2018, early 2018. So after a year of, of doing working on Lockbox, we we then went and raised the capital that allowed us to hire our initial team. And then that we we've, we've done that several times. I think they're probably the two. There there are lots and lots of other considerations. The, the the biggest is just be ready for lots and lots and lots of hard work. There's no easy way to build a business. I don't think. But it's very stimulating. Um, very stimulating and so whenever you go into a new business you've always got that excitement that, that means that burning the midnight oil doesn't, doesn't really matter but those two, and specifically in terms of pivoting I think those two points are valid.
0: Yeah and you know to your point you two work tirelessly, I don't think you're ever switching off. I mean Tom so far over the five, six years you've been doing this, any regrets and don't say employing ahead of media relations?
2: <laughs> no, not um, any regrets uh, Oh, what? Sorry, I'm, I'm looking around for words because I, I, I obviously wasn't pre pre-rehe- haven't pre rehearsed any of these answers. No, do you know what? I don't think I do actually. I don't think I do. So certainly no regrets at all about getting into uh, about getting into this business. Absolutely love what we do. Um, I think every single experience we've had in the you know between 2012 and now uh, has directly contributed to how the business operates now. So no, I um. Sorry, I'm going to bail on that question
0: by saying no, no regrets, nothing I've changed. No, that's, you're absolutely entitled to answer that if you have no regrets. So what's a typical day for you, Tom? I mean, obviously, you're, not, you're both CEOs, but you're co-founders. So, you know, you're the brains behind the business, but you're actually running it at the same time, uh, which is becoming more usual, I think, in entrepreneurialism. Um, but for you guys, it's a hard job. What's a typical day for you?
2: Um, well, it's got, it's got weirder now that we're in lockdown. So, um, so it's changed a little bit. So, I mean, maybe, maybe like but the average day before, before lockdown was we had, so so I live in, in, right on the Somerset-Devon border, so rural, rural kind of Somerset. Um, and Greg and I, uh, Greg lives down in, 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 not in, in London, Bristol or America, which are the three cities that, sorry, I say three cities, two cities in a country that we built a business in. Um. So there was an awful lot of traveling. So we would would travel to Bristol on a daily basis, um, often up to London on a daily basis, sometimes both on a daily basis. Um, and then kind of one week in six, we'd go and spend it in America, um, getting getting involved in the US business. So there was a huge amount of travel and a huge amount of time spent on trains. Um, that's all gone now since lockdown. Um, so like now my day is... is uh, I think probably desperately dull, like everybody else So I, I i literally i wake up i sit at my desk uh, i work uh, and during you know during the morning we we work with the team in the u k uh there's often proposition work that goes into that so so thinking about the the innovation that goes into our product um, then in the afternoon the the focus tends to move more towards the u s as the u s comes online, and then the evenings are spent um with the u s business as well so um so the, the, the day Morse from, from UK team, UK proposition, US proposition and team uh, into, into the evening. And then, um, then I eat, sleep and repeat.
0: And uh, you've mentioned the US there. I'm quite interested as to why you chose the US as the second market to launch. Perhaps, Gregor, you could cover some thinking behind that.
1: Certainly. Um, it wasn't a difficult decision because Boston, the UK, the the concept of credit building and credit builder products is very new I mean, tom was right at the forefront back in 2012 um where the, there were there were some traditional products uh, such as um there's term now low and grow credit cards and or or um you kind of credit cards Well, not not fully cashback but kind of no no funds at risk credit cards that um were designed specifically for for um for credit building, there was not really nothing else. Um, and so in the UK, initially Tom and then Tom and I together have been creating an industry where there wasn't one. Whereas in the US, credit scoring and credit um, building are much more ubiquitous and, and have been part of the fabric of the financial system there for 30 or 40 years. And um, certainly 30 years, and there's there have been credit builder products such as credit unions providing cash secured loans, um, and banks providing the same for, for that length of time. So we already knew that there was a market for our product in the UK. It was about creating something interesting that could grab people's attention and then educating them. And uh, you know, great businesses like ClearScore have done done their their own fair share to do that by by getting the whole Your Credit Score Matters message out to the general public. And they're, they're up at 8 million, 8 million people and there are numerous other businesses doing the same thing as them. So when we went to America, we knew, first of all, it's a market, um, what was 300 million people in America? Um, and we knew that, that there's at least a kind of 120 to 130 million who have poor credit scores or, or struggle to access credit. Fairly priced credit, so we knew that there was a big marketplace. We knew that there were products, but they were quite expensive. And so, with the U.S., it was more a case of going to a product which a market which had the product the product we offer, but didn't. But but we were we were coming in to disrupt it with a free product. And um, and since since we've done that already, um, we're seeing other free. Uh, credit builders popping up so this our disruption tactic is actually working
0: well that yeah as you say you know there's proofs in the pudding that you know you bring that to the market and all of a sudden you start to see other people copying it and obviously you're not going to be able to tell me uh you know your your future growth plans because you wouldn't want to to be giving that information away too early but but are there plans in the future for for lockbox to grow even more around the world
1: well, absolutely. I mean, our, our mission is very clear. The corporate mission is to end financial exclusion globally. And to do that, by definition, we have to go to as many countries as we can as, 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 um, as resources allow. So, um, you yeah, know, we've got our own internal plans about where, when and how. But, uh, but yes, absolutely. Global expansion is
0: on our roadmap. And Tom, on your journey so far, especially with Lockbox, what have been the big kind of aha moments, I suppose?
2: Yeah, in, in the early days I was extremely surprised that just because you build it doesn't necessarily mean they will come. Um which 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 caught me out a couple of times right in the early days where we knew that there was an extremely clear um need for for a product and we felt that we provided a perfect solution to that. But um but alas, just because you have those two things doesn't mean that that, that getting people to come and join you is effortless. Um that was, that was probably one of the big takeaways, um, I, I think, early on and, and drove, you know, sounds obvious when you say it, uh, but drove a lot of the, kind of the changes of strategy and changes of direction that we had during the course of, the course of that process, um, so certainly in the early couple of years. Um, I think, secondly, you know, building, building partnerships, um, which is something we've done really, really, really well. And, um, and I'm extremely proud of, of, of what Gregor and I achieved, and what the kind of the wider business has managed to achieve, and the team has managed to achieve in that respect. Because we, the the people that we help, typically, they don't find out that they are financially excluded. Thundering most most of the people that we help would not describe themselves as financially excluded, but the the people that we help tend not to find out about it um, organically, just for themselves. It tends to be as a byproduct of them doing something else. So they apply for their most mobile phone contract, to find they can't get it, or they're rejected for a car finance or a loan or a credit card or whatever it might be. There is a trigger event uh, that, that, that generally means that they start to think about what do I need to do about my credit history, my credit score, my financial position. What we have been, I think, very, very good at is identifying businesses in the market um, that those customers interact with, that those people interact with, at the point that they get that rejection, the point that they realise that there is that kind of crystallising moment for them. And um and convincing them that the right thing to do is to is to send those people and, and to signpost them and, and kind of drive them towards lockbox to give them an opportunity. And and that um, that was a really big kind of aha moment because it, it really helped our acquisition of of customers and really helped us grow. Um, and, and and not just us, it meant that the right people were getting the right product at the right time and for the businesses that we were working with it meant that they were able to offer something much more valuable than just a no, which traditionally was what happened. Um, so it's it's one of those great kind of no-lose situations for everybody involved.
0: Yeah, I'm sure. And and I'll ask you both this, but I'll start with you, Tom. You know, like we were talking about earlier, it's it's relentless. And, you know, I'm not making that sound like a, a negative thing at all because there are benefits to it as well. But personally, on a personal level, have you learned much about yourself?
2: Um, well, I mean, that's probably the same thing I think everybody... Everybody in these positions would would probably say is that, that that you keep learning that you are that you can do quite a bit more than you thought you could do, and you know it. it, it I think the last decade has just been a series of false summits, where um where you where, where you think okay well I'm I'm right at the steepest bit I'm doing it's the heaviest lift it's the hardest work and um it's the biggest challenge but but it'll be over soon and then we'll hit this particular metric or this particular milestone that slow down and um. And actually, life no, just doesn't work like that. Lord, Lord of running a business, but every time you get there, it would be a false summit, and you think, "Oh no, actually, there's a much steeper, steeper path ahead." Um, and that that's just been repeated on a kind of on a three-month cycle for so another a decade. And um, you know, if you, if you keep going,
1: then um, then that, that that's probably good enough.
0: And what about you, Gregor? Have you learned anything in particular about yourself that's perhaps surprised you?
1: I hope well, I'd echo echo Tom's comments. I, I think um for me specifically, so I came into this after a after a kind of quite traditional career, albeit in for, for a British person, less traditional geographies. And um and then I moved into the entrepreneurial world. And we we one of our um cornerstone investors is a is a director on um on our board and he's uh, he has he shared this concept with us that um, that it's it's healthy to rewire your brain from time to time um, by taking on things that you that are outside your comfort zone, learning new skills, and that gives you that those skills become hardwired if you use them enough. And I think that um, I think definitely for me there was a, in the earlier stages there was a rewiring process where um, you, you had to kind of undo some of my kind of more incumbent KPMG thinking and learn the learn the more hacky. Um, early stage business stuff, and um, and the, the 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 resilience is it's another level of resilience from working with the big four accounting business. Um, so yeah, I think re- rewiring my brain has has been one of the outcomes of this exercise, and, and a very positive one actually.
0: And uh, actually, that might be the answer to the next question I'm going to ask you. But I, I don't know if you've seen, but Elon Musk uh, was asked the other day on a social media channel if he if he could give any advice to entrepreneurs. Uh, and his response was, "If they need advice, they shouldn't become an entrepreneur." Which I thought was a bit harsh, personally. Uh, <laughs> what advice would you give, Gregor?
1: I, I, I'd echo that.
0: Oh, would you really? <laughs> I'd genuinely
1: echo that. I mean, if, it's not that. Of course, of course, there's lots of advice to give uh, give people, and um it i think it's it's be prepared for the for a, a level of resilience that um that you maybe haven't estimated all the stuff that Tom said previously um all, all of that there's lots of advice uh, if you if you don't have a finance background it's probably helpful to make sure you've got finance skills around you and, and business administration skills around you there's there's a whole like there's a whole playbook that you can you can buy shops and books that talk about this um but I, I think ultimately what uh, Elon Musk is basically saying is that you've either got the drive and the interest to do it, in which case you, you're going to do it anyway, irrespective of what anyone says or, or you don't.
0: Yeah. Tom, Tom would you add anything to that or do you agree as well?
1: No, I, would,
2: I, I absolutely agree. And I, I've heard it said before, and I think it's really true, that if, if you are going to be an entrepreneur, it is inevitable. It, it will just happen. It, it's not actually a choice because you won't be satisfied Doing anything else, working for somebody else, not having a new idea, not pushing that idea through. so I actually I'm just not sure it's the choice really when, it, when when you boil down to it because if you if you want it and if that's the way you think you will end up just doing it. So that's probably true in respect of the way of, of what Elon Musk is saying, which is you know if you're if you're having to be talked into it, it's probably not in your DNA.
0: Yeah, you're probably right. And actually, I'd agree with that. With most of the entrepreneurs I've met and worked with uh, over the years, you're you're a certain type, and I don't mean that in a negative way whatsoever. But uh, Tom, what's been your favourite moment so far throughout the whole period of, you know, credit improver, lockbox to present day? What would you say has been the best moment for you so far?
2: Gosh, there have been an awful lot of them. It would be extremely difficult to to pick just one of them, um, but it's... Like, in, in amongst kind of the top 10 moments, I suppose one of the ones that comes to mind was Gregor and I, when we won our first award uh, for something. And, um, and I, I, won't, I won't name the award, but, but Lockbox, won, Lockbox won an award. It was quite early on. Um, we had been grinding it out in, um, in, in London. We hadn't, we hadn't gone international at that point. And, uh, and, and really working our socks off, um, telling everyone how great we were and um, and how great our business was and um and this was it was the first time that that, that someone else had agreed with us um and given us an award or a panel of people had agreed with us and, uh, and there was a moment where uh where I, I don't think we were a few beers down by this point i think this was before the beers had started flowing but where we were sat there and we were we were just telling each other all the reasons why it won't be us and then it happened and there was kind of a, like a look of complete shock between the two of us and then um then, kind of, lots of lots of cheers and excitement and fun um, that that continue right the way through through the evening. But that's a real that's that a real memory for me because it was the first time that somebody else validated in one way or another what we what, what we knew in our hearts to be true that uh, that you know the business and the product was good and it was helping people and it was doing all that, that good stuff that that
1: we we were telling people we were doing.
0: And what about you, Gregor? What's been your highlight so far?
1: Well, I mean, that was definitely that was definitely up there. Um, there have been, as Tom said, there's been lots. We've had a lot of fun. I mean, a lot of fun, and um, um, talking, talking about the, the business literally through the night as we've been kind of staying over in London because we've got meetings back to back the next day, um, and and uh, and having a laugh along the way. Um, so, so that's been great. But I, I think actually, one of the for me, one of the highlights will always be. Um, uh, lunch at the Noisy Lobster in Christchurch in 2016 when I met her.
0: That's brilliant. And yeah. that's where it all started. Um, I suppose, Gregor, while I've got you then, um, another question is, if you could start a business in another sector right now, outside of what you're doing, I'm kind of asking you to pick up a bit of a crystal ball, I suppose, where do you see Opportunity?
1: for the opportunity for the business
0: no generally so if you was if you were going to start a business in a completely different sector right now what sector would you be looking at
1: oh i think the well there's lots, lot um but i think the the um the really hot um sector is uh, blockchain and um and everyone immediately jumps to cryptocurrency and speculation etc but it doesn't have to be about that it's um it's how is blockchain what what are the what are the um best ways to maximize the technology behind blockchain to achieve better, more efficient business outcomes for existing business models or to break existing business models and create new ones? Um I think that's that for me is is um probably in in, in the sphere of stuff I'm looking at looking at and thinking about, that's that's probably the number one
0: yeah no i totally agree and the the potential with blockchain is is huge i mean we were talking about it in the last episode of um lockpod with with maria harris and you know that's being integrated into mortgages so that'll be really interesting to watch tom what about you
2: um well i i I agree with gregor um but that would be a really boring answer if i just said what, what he said um so i'll go completely left blanking on this one um i think I would set up, try and find a business that I could set up in kind of rewilding or alternative farming. would uh, Would be would be the direction I would head in. I think um, not because I necessarily think. Well, actually, I do think it will change the world. Um, not that I think a a, a business that I set up would do that, but I think it would just be quite fun and quite interesting.
0: That's brilliant. Well, both, thank you so much for your time today. It's been great talking to you about how to start a business and uh, the lockbox story. We could talk for hours, uh, but I think we'll leave it there for now. But thank you both very much indeed for your time.
1: Thanks, Katie. Thanks, Katie.